and welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive. Today's show brought to you by Rock Auto. Visit rockauto.com. All the parts a car will ever need at reliably low prices. That's rockauto.com. And tell them that Locked On sent you. It is grading week here on the Locked On Leafs podcast. I will start with grading the top six today, so the big boys. We're going to go through and grade them A through Fs. Nobody got an F. I'll tell you that right now. No one got an F on the season. Um, you can't get an F if you make the playoffs. Let's let's just get that out of the way real quick time. Uh, tomorrow we'll be getting to the to the bottom six. So that'll be, you know, the, the Kerfoots, the Kapanins, the Goats, the Spetses. We'll talk about all those role players and how they fared throughout the season. Uh, we'll get to the defense on Wednesday. And that one's going to be interesting because... I I got some words to say. I'm sure you guys are very very well aware of of my thoughts on how uh, how our decor kind of played out the season. Whether it's CC Barry, you know Riley's injury, Justin Hall in the playoffs, whatever it be. Uh, there's some there's going to be some bad grades back there. Uh, the goalies and coaches we'll get to on Thursday, and then I'll do management and prospects on Friday. So that'll be a lot of fun. Hoping to get uh, hoping to get somebody on that show specifically, someone who who uh, who covers the the least prospects quite deeply. I'm not going to say who it is just yet, just in case he's unable to do so. And then you know I. You know, we look bad or, or I make him look bad. So uh, I've got the feeler out there. Maybe by tomorrow I'll be able to share whether or not he'll be able to come on on uh, Friday. But uh, as for today, we'll be discussing the big boys and, and, and how they did in this up and down season for the Maple Leafs. Um, Toronto also let a couple of coaches go this week. So I'll update you on that news a little bit later in the show. But let's get to these report cards and let's start with Austin Matthews. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Austin Matthews deserves to be the highest graded Leafs this season. I'm giving him an A. Um, so Austin Matthews, 47 goals, 33 points, or 47 goals, 33 assists, 80 points in just 70 games. Um, you know, career highs in goals, career highs in points, career highs. You know, he stayed healthy all season long, didn't miss a game. And that was something that was huge. And I, I'm going to go back and find out what our over-unders were um, at the beginning of the season because obviously you know, we did over-unders. We had some fun with it. Um, and, and I guess the season's kind of went a different way. <laughs> so the over-unders are kind of weird because now it's a shortened season. But regardless, I, I'm curious to see where I was on Austin Matthews' injuries because I'm pretty sure I probably went with over for missing like 10 or 15 games or something like that. Uh, if I recall. So I'm going to have to go back and, and dig out that audio and try and see if I can find it. We'll, we'll just take a look at the overarders in general, but that'll be for next week because we got to do our report cards this week. Uh, so Austin Matthews, I uh, can't say much more about this guy. He had an absolutely outstanding season from start to finish. Um, there weren't many nights where he wasn't the least best player. Uh, he was one goal away from a three-way tie for the Rocket Richard Trophy, like 47 goals in in 70 games, and if he would have got one more goal this season, just one, all he needed was one more lucky bounce, one more shot that beat the goaltender, and he would have been in a class with David Pasternak and Alex Ovechkin, and he would have himself some hardware this year. I do firmly believe that at some point in his career, Austin Matthews is going to win a Rocket Richard. I think he proved this season that he has a lethal shot 
and he can score goals at will, and I believe that he will do that at some point in his career. Um, wasn't able to do it this year because of you know the stoppage and all that, but anyways, uh, I digress. He would have broken Rick Vive's single-season goal-scoring record for the Maple Leafs at 53 goals. Would have been just the fourth Maple Leaf to have a 50-goal season. All of this, of course, cut short by COVID. But not just in his offensive game. He took massive, massive strides in his defensive game. And this is why I was so, so excited about Matthew's progression this season. Okay, First of all, face-off draws. He got a lot better in the dot this year. And if you're going to be a number one center on a team that wants to contend for a cup, you got to win faceoffs. And that's what he did. Uh, winning 55% of his draws on the year, which is which is super important for a guy when you stick him out there on important points of the season or, or important points of the games, expecting him to win you a draw so that you could set up for, for a game-winning goal on numerous occasions. And he was able to, to, to come and do that for the Maple Leafs. Um but, you know, after Sheldon Keefe took over the bench, he started to play a much stronger two-way game. He was a puck hound from pretty much like the, the new year, new year on, I would say. You know, he really started going hard into the corners. He was back-checking. Uh, you know, he's bodying guys off of pucks. He was forcing turnovers. You know, he was doing exactly what we thought he might be able to do one day once he grew into his body and under learned the game a little bit and started to to mature in his game and it, it seemed like a light bulb went off this year like oh I'm six foot four 220 pounds I can maneuver people however I want by just shifting my body weight a little bit and leaning on them a little and I could force turnovers would you look at that and it turned out to be um, a fantastic season for Austin Matthews like I don't want to toss out the word selkie but I think this guy could also win a Selkie. Have you ever, has like, think about it. This is a guy who could legitimately be in a Selkie conversation and a, and a Rocket conversation. And because of that, at some point, he could put himself in a Heart conversation. It's really incredible when you think about the potential that Austin Matthews has. And with the progressions that he showed this year, it really makes me think that he can do all of this. Um... Something that I, I, when just digging into the numbers a little bit, made me really, really, this is what really fuels me thinking like, oh my God, this guy might be able to win a Selkie one day, was this this specific stat here. He averaged 3.86 takeaways per 60 this season. That ranks him third in the NHL. Third. Only behind Geno Malkin. And a guy who's widely considered as one of the best premier two-way forwards in the game, Mark Stone. Third, behind these guys. That's in comparison to last season where he averaged 2.82 takeaways per 60. So a full takeaway more per game, per 60 minutes. That's the progression that I'm talking about. And he's still so young. This kid's going to be a phenom. You know, he still has he still has some maturity to do both, you know, on the ice, off the ice, in the game, in his head. And if he matures the way that we think he can, the way that, you know, he took a big leap this season, if he can make another leap, boy, that's scary for opposing players, man. That is scary. Um 
Yeah, so I gave him an A because I thought that he was he was fantastic this season. He kind of did a little bit of everything. Um, he's the best forward by far in the playoffs. Two goals, four assists, six points led the team. Could have had five or six goals in that series if the Columbus goaltenders weren't you know standing on their heads every single night. Yeah, he was extremely strong on the puck. He didn't have a single giveaway at five on five throughout the playoffs. A t- a team. Where the Leafs, one of the biggest struggles that they had this playoffs was giveaways. They had so many giveaways that turned into goals for Columbus. And the fact that Austin Matthews going up against a shutdown line every single game and he didn't have a single turnover, that tells you something. You know, Matthews is a special player. He is a special, special player. He's got another level that he can get to, too. That's what's scary. He's going to be a hell of a player. Uh, so, yeah, Austin Matthews giving him an A. John Tavares, Captain Tavares. Uh, let's think about his season. Like, he went from, well, he had a baby over the offseason, and then he was handed the captaincy on opening night. And then about six weeks into the season, he suffers a broken finger. And it took him a little bit to get back into the swing of things. And eventually, he he kind of refound his game, and uh, ended up the season doing not bad, not too bad. Twenty six goals, thirty four assists, sixty points in sixty three games. Not as good as his first year in Toronto, uh, but still a pretty good season, I would say. He, uh, you know, just like Austin Matthews, pretty consistent in the faceoff circle. Won fifty five percent of his draws, and he was someone that that Sheldon Keefe and Babcock liked quite a bit in a shutdown role at times. You know, he was somebody that they 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 leaned on, that they believed in and trusted in to go out there and shut down opposing teams because he could play a little bit of a heavier style game and shut down other teams. And and so Tavares kind of had that role, especially the fact that they traded away Nazem Kadri. You know, I don't think they, you know, Alex Kerfoot wasn't going to be a guy who's going to go out and shut down Connor McDavid, you know. So that was that was more of a, a Tavares-type job, and, and, and he did pretty good at that. Um, you know, lethal on, on the Leafs' power play. You know, 21 power play points. The, the Leafs have one of the best power plays in the league. Obviously, they have one of the best offenses in the league, but, you know, power plays and, and John Tavares, big part of that, big-time playmaker and goal scorer, uh, on the on the man advantage. Here's some things that were a little scary about it, which is why his grade ended up suffering a little bit this season. Because keep in mind, we're not just talking about regular season. We're talking about regular season and the playoffs. So there were some whispers going around Leafs Nation if Tavares took a notable step back this season uh, and through the playoffs. He was awful in game one. He'll tell you that. Came back with a pretty good game too but didn't really have some real good games throughout the playoffs. You know, game two was good. Games three through five, meh. He had flashes. He was okay. But certainly not what you would expect of a guy that you're paying $11 million. And you're expecting for us, for, for John Tavares to be that consistent player. You know, he's a guy, he hasn't been there per se, but he's a guy who... You know, he's won some some international trophies and championships, so he's had international success. He had a couple of playoff runs. He's been a captain before. He was someone who you expected to be consistent on a night-to-night basis. I just feel like he didn't do that. You know, there were some real stinkers in the regular season, a couple of stinkers in the playoffs. 
and I just expected a little bit more out of Tavares, uh, to, to be quite honest with you. So that that held him out of being in the A category for me. Um, I feel like there was a little bit that was just a little left to be desired, so I couldn't give him an A. Uh, so I, I, I went and I, I gave Tavares a B. I, I just, you know, three points in the playoffs. Um he could have done a little bit. He could have done not a little bit. Could have done a lot better. That whole second line really didn't do much. Um, and then once that that you know those big three got put on a line together, they also got shut down, right? You know, three goals or five. Was it five goals uh, at five on five? Or three goals at five on five through the entire playoff series? Not enough. And Tavares was one of the guys who just struggled. Which leads me to my next guy. Tavares got a B, by the way. I give him a B. Um, But talking about playoff struggles, who's kind of reflects in the grade that he got. Uh, Mitch Marner really didn't have a good playoffs at all. He acknowledged his poor game in game one, which was good to see. That he acknowledged that he was ass, for lack of a better word. (laughs) <laughs> straight up, he was terrible. Um, and he said he did get better as the playoffs went on. He felt more comfortable. He felt like he was being, um, you know, more productive out there on the ice. And I suppose that's true. There's only, you really could have only went up from there, technically, <laughs> from, from game one. Uh, but he wasn't nearly as good as he needed to be. And, and, and that was the problem here. You know, zero points at five on five for a player like Mitch Marner, who's got you know, the, the skill level that this guy has, he needs to be able to put up points. He needs to be able to make plays, and he just wasn't doing it, right? That second line, um, you know, uh, realistically, take away when that top line got put together. First of all, they didn't score anyways that entire game, but also take away that big comeback. You know, Mitch Marner didn't score at all, right? Like, he got two assists, and they were as part of the, the big goal, four-goal comeback, or the three-goal comeback. So at six on five, he got two assists. They got two assists on the power play. Zero at even strength. You know, his line mates, Tavares, didn't play too well. And neither did uh, Ilya Mikheyev. We'll talk about him a little bit later as well today. And then he ended up getting moved up to playing with Austin Matthews and Zach Hyman for a little bit. Same thing. Didn't produce. You know, so an awful playoffs for Mitch Marner brought his grade down significantly. And you think about it, he started off the season in a big-time contract standoff with Kyle Dubas. It didn't end up signing until, what, the I think it was the second day into camp. So he didn't even technically break camp with the team. It was the second day, and he met up with the team out in Newfoundland before he signed his deal. Right, $10.89 million, basically an $11 million contract, just a, a shade under. Um, and he didn't live up to that contract at, at the end of the day. 16 points, 51 assists, 67 point, 16 goals, 51 assists, 67 points in 59 games in the regular season. He was productive in the regular season. But at the same time, I don't think he was productive enough in the playoffs to warrant a higher grade than I gave him because the playoffs is where it matters. Now we're getting to a point where, you know, even Austin Matthews said, he said, look, we can win all the games we want. We can be as successful as we want. 
when we get you know in the in the in the regular season, but it means absolutely nothing unless we're producing in the playoffs. So for Mitch Marner, I hated hated to have to do this to my man's, and this could be some recency bias. Give him a C plus, C plus. Still a great talented player. I don't want to run him out of the city because I think this is a guy who can easily easily come back and be exceptional next year. You know, set this world on fire next year. Be a Patrick Kane-esque type player for the rest of this duration of his contract. I can see it. The skill level's there. It just wasn't there this year, and it was not there in the playoffs. Therefore, game a C+. Uh, All right, we'll take a quick break, and then when we return, we'll finish up the top six with Nylander, Hyman, and Ilya Superman Mikheyev. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Lease podcast. I am your host, Mike DiStefano. You can check me out on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Uh, also, check out the show's Twitter at Locked On Leafs. Um, so let's get down to the rest of these top six players. Uh, William Nylander, Zach Hyman, and Ilya Mikheyev. And this technically was, this was the line that started game five. Second line for game five. We'll start with William Nylander because he had a good season. 31 goals, 28 assists, 59 points in 69 games. So career high, 31 goals. Massive bounce back season after struggling mightily last year to find his game. Had a lot of bad luck too, like shooting percentage super low. You know, his PDO was was really low. You know, just, just had some bad puck luck last season. And this year had a little bit of better puck luck. But with a career high in goals this season, I thought William Nylander certainly lived up to his contract. The opposite of Mitch Marner, right? At $6.9 million or 6.9 whatever and chains, a shade under seven, whatever you want to call it, you know, I can live with 30 goals and a 65 to 70 point player. I feel like that's what you get out of a $7 million guy. You know, a 35 and 35 guy. If that's what he is for the rest of his career, I could take that at $7 million. That's pretty much what I'm expecting. That was great. He led the Leafs this season in Corsi. No Corsi 4, 54.61. Led the Leafs in individual expected goals per 60. So an expected goals per 60 of 0.9. So almost, almost a full goal per 60 games based on his play on the ice this season. Granted, He was given 62% offensive zone starts, so he's going to have a higher chance, you know, to have some expected goals with with starting the O-zone and getting so many chances in the offensive end. But at the same time, he didn't waste it. He was given the 62% zone starts, and he made sure that he cashed in on those, right? With those 59 points, 69 games, 31 goals. You know, Willie, to me, had a really good season. And he showed flashes that he's also willing to back check. He's willing to come back and play a two-way game. He's willing to step up defensively when needed to. It's not quite as consistent as I would like. And if he can somehow, you know, turn the consistency on in that regard, I think that Willie can also become a premier player in this league. Now, he's going to always be more of an offensive dynamo than he is defensively. Same thing, you know, with Mitch Marner. But they both do have some really good qualities on this team. Defensively, that is. 
You know, I I I like some of what Nylander did some nights. He 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 went completely silent in Game Five. He looked absolutely lost. You know, if we're talking about Game Five, that's an F, right? Right. But the whole season as a whole, pretty good. The playoffs, pretty good. Two goals, two assists. You know, four points in the playoffs for the most part. He was sitting on the top line with with Austin Matthews, and then he came down a little bit um, when when Marner and and Nylander switched. Um, and he was playing on the second line. He was still playing pretty well. Um, and then just game five, totally different scenario. He was shifted into the middle, and he did. He just looked lost. It wasn't a good game at all. So, you know, excluding that one, um, I thought that he had a pretty good playoffs. Um, and I gave him an A-. minus. I thought Willie, Willie certainly, the bounce-back season he had after last year was huge. You know, the mental toughness to come back after that and 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 put it put last year in the rear and focus on this season and he just kept going and going and going terrific year for Willie uh I think an A minus is certainly what he deserved uh, Zach Hyman listen Zach Hyman is without a doubt to me the heart and soul of this lineup you want to say Mitch Marner is because he's you know you know, he's the offensive flashy guy who who also kills your penalties and, and gets in front of pucks and you know, like last season in, in, in Boston, putting his body on the line and, and you love to see that. I do. I love to see that at a Marner. Marner being on the power on the penalty kill was something I didn't expect to enjoy. I was, you know, I've never really been a fan of, of having your skill players on the power play. But Marner is a guy who did well as well as Zach Hyman, right? Like that that duo of Hyman and Marner was a fantastic penalty-killing duo. They had so many chances, two-on-one, shorthanded. Like realistically, those two probably should have padded their stats a little bit more if Hyman could have finished on a couple of two-on-one opportunities that they've had and just wasn't able to do it. But I digress. Zach Hyman, regardless, he's still, he's the heart and soul of this team. He's the muscle of this team. And this year... He was part of the team's offense. Hyman had a great season. And keep in mind, too, he missed the first six weeks of the year with an ACL surgery over the summer and didn't come into the lineup until, what, third, like 15 games in? Like, he came in midway through November and was impactful right away and all season long. I think Hyman was the only player this season... Maybe I won't say only player, but you know he was one of the only guys this year who was consistent on a nightly basis all season long. Finished the year 21 goals, 16 assists, 37 points in just 51 games. 0.73 points per game. A little bit of a high shooting percentage at 19.8, so I'd expect for that to go down. Uh, but he wasn't really a shooter anyways at the same time, right? Only 106 shots, which isn't isn't a lot for a guy who averaged 19 minutes of ice time. He was just selective with his shots, and at the end of the day, he was getting tips and banging in at rebounds. Like, he wasn't a dude who was coming in and shooting high volume anyways, so that's okay. But also, 18th highest expected goals Four on the ice at five on five in the league. 18th. Ranked 18th in highest expected goals for. Sixth in scoring chances per 60. Sixth. 
So Zach Hyman's a guy who worked his way all the way up to the top line with Nylander and Matthews and has now solidified himself as a top six player. You know, when he first broke into the league a few years back, nobody was saying, oh, this is a future. This is a future. He's our top. He's a guy who's going to sit there in the top six and he's going to be a huge piece of the puzzle. No, I think they were saying, oh, cool. We have a good penalty killer who can, you know, role play in the bottom six. Like, I'm pretty sure Connor Brown was considered, a, like, at the time, I, I remember thinking Connor Brown was going to be more of a factor in this team than Zach Hyman. Well, look how that turned out. You know, Hyman's a great, great player. You know, and if it weren't for him, the Leafs wouldn't have won game four. They would have been out in four games. The effort that he showed in that big comeback against Columbus in game four, and they were down 3 nothing with a couple of minutes to go, if it wasn't for Zach Hyman, this team would not have come close to tying that game or even winning that game at that. He was instrumental in that comeback. And on top of all that, dude, he's the team's best penalty killer. Look at the playoffs. Columbus didn't have a single power play goal. The Leafs were actually perfect on the penalty kill. Now, Columbus doesn't have a good power play. But still, a perfect penalty kill. And Zach Hyman, he's your number one guy, especially after Muzzin went down. No, Zach Hyman became extremely, extremely important for that penalty kill. And he stepped up. Zach Hyman, a guy who I was not expecting to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, a consistent offensive weapon this year who I already know is super reliable defensively. He's going to go into the corners. He's going to retrieve your pucks for you and keep the play alive in the offensive zone. I already know that. And then this year he added a goal-scoring touch. He gets an A for me. Zach Hyman, A. And that leads us to our final player here that we're going to be talking about today, and that's Ilya Superman Mikheyev. Oh, oh, Mikheyev. You know what? He started off the year fantastically, right? I thought that Mikheyev was, uh, like, he he did. He had a, He had a great season with the Maple Leafs. Like, first 39 games of his career, he scored 23 points. And keep in mind that he was a player who was coming from Russia, probably didn't know a lot of English, and also just does, like, uh, playing on the smaller ice surface, it, it sometimes it takes an adjustment for guys. And Mikhail was somebody who went out there and started being super productive right away. He led the entire team this season, in the regular season, in points per 60. 2.44 points per 60. Ilya Mikheyev led the team in points per 60. So super productive in the limited time that he was given. You know, he started the season on, what, the third third line, I think? Maybe some fourth line minutes and then moved to the third. And then by the time before he got injured, was playing on the second line. And then he got hurt, which stalled the, the, the great season that he was having. But he's a guy who was moving around in the bottom nine, you know, showed extreme flexibility for, for you know, Mike Babcock early on and then Sheldon Keefe. Plays a, a similar game to Zach Hyman, so it was, it was good to see a guy like that when Hyman was out for the first six weeks. 
You know, I think that might be why Mikheyev became such a, a fan favorite real quick. Because he was a guy who played with incredible speed, incredible pace. He was going hard into the corners, retrieving pucks. You know, really an energizer bunny that just played at 110% all the time. And he was scoring. You know, for the longest time, he was hanging in there in the rookie in the rookie Calder race through the first couple months of the season. Kills penalties. Could throw them on your, your, your PP2. And it was extremely, he gave some flexibility to the coaching staff. So in terms of, of ranking his regular season, for what I was expecting, I was an A for sure. But we're doing the whole year. And unfortunately, the playoffs came and he turned into a ghost. Now, I don't want to be too critical on Mikheyev. Because, to be fair, he hadn't played since the new year, right? He had that injury, um, I think it was December 27th, I want to say, where he did get a skate laceration, which cut his wrist, which was supposed to put him out for the season, or at least the the whole regular season. Um, I'm pretty sure he was supposed to be out for the year as well. And because of the pause... And then the extension of the year starting back up in August, he was fully healed by then and ready to go. So he was thrusted back into the playoffs. Okay, you're ready to go. Let's go. Yeah, but he hadn't played hockey since since December, right? You know, so so I don't know. Maybe it just took him, you know, by surprise a little bit um, when he had to, to get out there and, and really start playing and he had to pick it up in playoff mode right away. But then I think, and I'm like, I'm super confused because you take a look at what he did in the scrimmages. First of all, scored that one goal against Montreal real early. Uh, I think it was, what, like 8, 15 seconds or something like that into that exhibition game. And everyone's like, oh, let's go. McKayev's back. Because the, the whole week prior to that, McKayev did nothing but score goals. That line of McKayev, Tavares, and Marner was unbelievable in the scrimmages. He won... Uh, phase three MVP scored a hat trick. So there was so much high expectations for him going into the playoffs. You know, well, he returns to the lineup. He's going to give them some juice. You know, I think that that rounds out the top six pretty well. He's a guy who's been showing a scoring touch in the scrimmages in phase three. And that just went completely silent in the playoffs. Zero points, zero points through five games. Got moved off the second line in game four. Found his way back onto it because of, you know, Nick Robertson came out of the lineup. But, you know, lost his role, his top six role in the playoffs because he just wasn't doing anything. Which is super peculiar to me and a head scratcher for how good he was in the season before he got hurt. And then how good he was in phase three in the practices leading up to the to the playoffs. You know, I always say, well, practice, you know, practice is practice. It's totally different when you're in, in an in-game scenario. Yes, I get that. But this dude looked like, he looked like Rocket Richard in the, in the, in the practices. And then he goes out and, and looks like Freddy the Goat in the playoffs. Like, what? It just didn't make any sense. But uh, still, coupled with his season, I still have to give him a B plus because he's also just a, a, a great human. Great, great human. So 
I gave McKayev a B plus. Uh, his first season in North America, I think, was a great, a great uh, lesson for him. And I think that if he could take his struggles that he had in the playoffs and kind of learn from it going into next year, I think that's going to help him and help this team going forward, right? He's a UF or uh, he's an RFA, so they're going to have to get him locked up, and they will. I think McKayev, they believe, is a piece going forward. Whether he's a top six guy, a third line guy, you know, remains to be seen. But he's a player who could provide some really good depth, both defensively and offensively. I think ideally he's probably a third-line winger for this team. That's that's ideal. Because then he just he's he's a depth piece who has the ability to go up and down your lineup. And that's that that's 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 all you can ask for out of a third-line winger. But uh, a B plus for Ilya Mikheyev. All right, real quick, uh, we're going to take a one more break, and then when we come back, I'll tell you all about the latest Leafs news um, and which coach has find themselves out of Toronto. And we'll, we'll tackle that in just a moment. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Leafs podcast. Mike DiStefano still with you. Okay, real quick, we'll talk about uh, the Leafs. Uh, not so much letting a coach go, but a coach uh, deciding to leave Toronto, and we knew this was coming. So I guess I teased it as if this was breaking news. But um, if you'll recall, Paul McFarlane actually had accepted a head coaching position with the Kingston Frontenacs of the OHL. Uh, Paul McFarlane, assistant coach of the Leafs, um, came in under Babcock and and, and led the power play. Um, So he's actually gone. So he now officially left today or yesterday. Uh, officially resigned, stepped down, you know, turned in his key um, to go become the the head coach of the Kingston Frontenacs. And uh, we wish him well. You know, good luck, Paul. Hopefully, you know, this is your your step. One day you want to become a a head coach in the NHL. I would imagine, you know, being the head coach uh, of an OHL franchise isn't your MO here with this move. Um, You know, most people who who take a, a bit of a demotion from the NHL to either junior or or the AHL to be a head coach and run your own benches because they have aspirations to one day be a, a head coach in the NHL and again just have those the the experience to run their own bench and they can fall back on their times when they were in the O or in the A you know that's just what happened you know Sheldon Keefe he came he once were, you know he ran the bench in the OHL then he moved up to the AHL and now he's in the NHL it's just kind of how it goes sometimes it's better to be a head coach in a, in a in a tier down than an assistant coach in the National League, just the way it goes. Um, so good luck to Paul McFarland. Uh, hopefully, we get to see you back in the NHL at some point. Toronto boy, wish nothing but success for you. The next part of the equation is now we have to find a replacement for Paul McFarland. And there's one name that has been tossed around by a couple of media members here in Toronto. Lance Hornby, I believe, is uh, the man from the Toronto Sun who first said something, and it's kind of piqued the interest of a lot of media here in Toronto. Brucey Boudreau, the former head coach of the Minnesota Wild, uh, also formerly of the Washington Capitals, he could have some interest in this job. Would he take a... Demotion to be the assistant on a team? We don't know. We certainly don't know that. You know, uh, he's a guy who's a a veteran in the NHL, uh, coaching in the NHL many, many years. Uh, Is he willing to go back to being an assistant? We don't know that. But what we do know, he loves Toronto. He's born here. 
He was drafted here. He played here. He's a big-time Toronto fanboy. And what happened the last time that we had a big-time Toronto fanboy enter the market? That's right. John Tavares ended up with the Maple Leafs. So could we also lure Bruce Boudreaux to, to, to be on the bench just so that he could live out his dream and be you know, a coach of the Maple Leafs? Obviously, he'd rather do it as the head coach of the Leafs. But right now, that job's locked up probably for the next couple of years. I wouldn't imagine that Sheldon Keefe will be ousted uh, so soon, considering that he's kind of the hand-pitched guy of Kyle Dubas. So if there's any chance that Bruce Boudreaux is going to want to be a coach in Toronto in the next little bit, I think it's it's going to have to be as an assistant. So would he be interested in the job? I don't know. You know, are there many positions that are going to be opening up for him next year anyway? And uh, Dave Poulin um, on Leafs Lunch today was saying he's pretty sure that Minnesota has him under contract for one more year. But if I'm not mistaken, there was uh, a, a, kind of an amendment of, of sorts that if you got fired by one team, then, you know, you're kind of fair game, you know, and, and all it means is that the other team has to pick up the tab of your your contract. So they would have to pay, you know, a head coach salary, but it's Toronto. <laughs> like, it's MLSE. They can afford it. I don't think that's going to deter it if he truly is a target that they're going to want to go out and get. And that leads you to the second question. Is he going to be a target that Sheldon Keefe is going to want to go out and get? Don't you think he might want to pick his own guy? Like, keep in mind, Dave Haxtell is is still on on the staff. Right, Dave Haxtell, former head coach himself of the Philadelphia Flyers, he was he came in with Mike Babcock this year, right? Babcock he wiped the slate clean last year, brought in two new assistants, and it was Paul McFarland and Dave Haxtell. Well, McFarland's gone, Haxtell still here, which means Keith, when he inherited the team, didn't get to bring any of his guys to the team. Does he have guys? I actually don't know if he has guys or not. <laughs> Maybe he does. I mean, obviously, he was he's come up through hockey, so I'm sure he has some guys who he believes can be coaches in the NHL. You know, the guys who he picked to help run his bench, whether it was with the Sioux Greyhounds or whether it was with um, the, uh, well, my blanket, the, the Marlies. And the one name that has popped up a little bit is A.J. McLean, who's still with the Marlies. And ended up helping coaching after, you know, moved up to uh, to, to help coach the Marlies when Keith got promoted up to the NHL. And there's a thought that maybe he picks A.J. McClain to come in and help. And and he could handpick one of his guys. Because that's kind of the right that you get when, when you're running your own bench, you know. At least you, you can pick your guys. Now there's a video coach option, uh, a video coach role that's also open right now. Maybe that's where they could say, listen, Brucey, I think, would be a good addition because you're still a raw, raw guy. You bring in a guy like Boudreaux, and you have those guys on your bench, Boudreaux and Hackstall, who can kind of help groom you a little bit. You can pick their brains, pick up the best tendencies, coaching tendencies that they have. You couple that with what you have inherently learned and your values and what you know as a coach to be true and right. To, to lead this team to success, maybe that would be the best case scenario for this team. 
Veteran coaches seem to be a very popular decision when it comes to assistants. You know, take a look at Philadelphia. Elaine Vigneault, former head coach, he's now there. His two assistants, Michelle Terrian, and I can't remember his other assistant coach, but it is a former NHL coach. So he's got, so that entire bench, all three of them, are former head coaches in the league. You know, so this is becoming a, a pattern that we're actually seeing happen in the NHL quite often. And I'll be curious to see if Toronto tries to to do something like that and bring in a guy like Bruce Boudreau. We'll see what happens there. That's going to be interesting. Um, I don't know if we're going to end up seeing it now. This might be a much later into the summer hire for them. They probably want to get... You know, their 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 players under contract first before they even get to the coaching, uh, the coaching vacancy. You know, you got guys, you know, McKayev's, they gotta get under contract, they gotta figure out what they want to do with Travis Dermott. Um, they gotta try and scout and figure out what they wanna do with, you know, their defense, which is gonna need a couple of guys to come in and, and help to solidify it, in my opinion. We'll get to that like on Wednesday when we talk about D. Um but in terms of, of coaching, yeah. There's an assistant coach job that's open in Toronto. Could it be Bruce Boudreaux? Perhaps. Does he want to come here? We don't know. But it's an interesting, interesting proposition. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. All right, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening and supporting the show. You'd subscribe to the Locked On Leafs podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily Leafs content. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Leafs. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck. If you want some more hockey talk, be sure to check out the Locked On NHL podcast where myself and four other Locked On hosts chat about what's going on in the hockey world that week. Um, All right, that's going to do it for us here on the podcast. Thanks for listening. And uh, until next time, keep it locked right here on Locked On Leafs.